Welcome to Under the Shell, presented by Terrapin Sports Central. In this episode, we sit down with Ryan Davis, the Director of Football, Strength and Conditioning for the University of Maryland, and we also do a special draft at the end, making a starting five for athletes not on the basketball team. Should be exciting. I'm Brendan Weissel. Joined by Sam Jane. Big Mike Michael House. No Cavett, again. Um, busy with uh, a lot of brotherhood stuff, so... Won't be able to have him on this week, but he should be back soon. We miss him, but uh, let's get into the show. Among many things right now, it is draft season um, in the NFL, that is. So uh, Combine has been going on, and we talked to Ryan Davis a little bit about that. uh, The fastest teammates in NFL Combine history. Tell us about that, Sam. Yeah, he called a shot. I mean, Brendan, I I know when he was on there, he said, you got to watch out for some of these guys. They're going to set some serious times. And I kind of took him a little like, eh, he's just kind of hyping up his guys. You know what I mean? And then, and then I, I go on Twitter and I see Deontay Banks and Jacorian Bennett running three, four threes. I'm like, yeah, I mean, the guy, the guy knew what he was talking about. I mean, Mike, when you have those type of corners and, and those type of athletes, what do you think that does? you know, not only for their draft stock, but for the Maryland program as a whole now that they're getting some national attention, um, you know, for having these elite athletes. Any publicity is good publicity. And when the NFL draft combine, one of the, you know, I would say one of the biggest sporting events in early March, because March Madness hasn't really picked up yet. Right. When that happens and you see it on social media, especially with social media nowadays, that, that, that spreads. That is pretty good for recruits. You're like, oh, if I can come here, a guy like Ryan Davis can develop me. Um, increase my physical traits you know that's good for recruiting Loxley talked about it. we talked about we talked about being the getting the tag of being a good recruiter and anything that's gonna uh, you know you, you NFL caliber players that's a goes a long way in, in getting con, uh, players to come to Maryland Maryland will be pumping that in recruiting when they, they already have them. when they're when they're looking at athletes or you know corners that type of thing they're gonna be saying hey look who just ran the fastest teammate 40 in, in NFL combine history are guys you know what I mean those are um, things that they can add and um, happy for those two obviously um, great quarterback duo and um, would have maybe have liked to see if you're a Maryland fan a little bit of better pass defense while they were here that's what I was about to bring up you would hope that those physical traits would de- you know translate I mean, into a better record yeah to be fair football is so much about especially corners about you know mentality and, and and other variables like if your pass rush is bad it's impossible to guard for five seconds yeah I mean scheme plays into that a ton yeah definitely so I think that when you're looking at that type of thing. I think that they, especially Bennett, had a really good career. Banks, I kind of think, flew under the radar, and now he's getting first-round look, guys. So, I mean, um, again, good on them. Good on everybody else. Jacob Copeland ran a very um, fast time. Jaron um, ran a 4-4. Yeah. Which I, I think he's an interesting guy. I know you have some thoughts about that. Yeah, I think Rakim is a super um, interesting prospect. I think when you look at NFL guys, they kind of are like, I mean, he, what is he going to do really well in the NFL, right? Because he's kind of this do-everything guy. Who really didn't do everything at Maryland like he never had this you know explosive season he never was you know a thousand yard guy really um he just kind of was uh here he had some moments you know West Virginia I think that was his sophomore year right he had a, he had a good game Penn State um, yeah so um you know he he I don't, he's an interesting guy I think that though it's going to be hard for him as a smaller guy who you know isn't an elite speed isn't an elite agility guy um, to get up in those high rounds, but I think as a fourth or fifth round prospect, Mike, I think he could, you know, make some make a name for himself. Yeah, like you said, it's all about being in the right system, and he gets drafted to a system like the 49ers. They can use him in so many creative ways with his speed and physical traits. 
Yeah, so let's uh, let's hear what Ryan Davis had to say. Appreciate you guys having me. All right, so uh, just give us a little bit, give us an update. What have you been up to uh, since the Duke's Mail Ball? <laughs> um, we are we are finishing week three right now. I'm knee deep in the off season, um, training our guys, and we're finishing up our third week. And we literally, as about eight minutes ago, just got done setting up for uh, our Friday morning run and our our Friday morning lift tomorrow. So we are uh, we're full speed at, full speed ahead. So, Coach, I wanted to ask, you know, um, you know, you've you've worked in a lot of pretty incredible places, um, you know, Alabama, and now you come to Maryland, follow Coach Loxley. What's been the biggest, um, you know, adjustment for you since you got here in terms of, you know, the strength and conditioning pro, uh, program, what the team overall looks like in the state of the program? Um, you know, obviously – uh, both are pretty powerhouse division one, big 10 SEC schools, but one is a little different in terms of, you know, the, the focus on it, I would say, I guess, in terms of, you know, football and things like that, Alabama football is King, obviously down there. What's been the biggest adjustment for you since coming over here? You know, I think first, first off, um, you know, I want to, I want to thank coach locks for, for thinking of me and bringing me here because the, the biggest adjustment is, has been the work that we've had to do to try to get things turned around. And I, I say that I don't take my relationship with coach for granted, because I think when you have, when your leadership is aligned, it allows you to do some of the things that we've been able to do here. And um, when I came here, coach locks had a vision and, and a lot of his vision was predicated on his experience while he was with coach Saban at Alabama. I think what people sometimes miss, Mike Loxley and me were not together at Alabama. We had five years between us. There was five years from the time I finished to the time he started. Um, and so, so you were in 09, right? Sorry to interrupt. 09, you were the part of? Yeah, I was there in 2009, okay. 10, 11, and 12. Okay. And so um, when coach got there, you know, again, it was, we had, we had about five years between us, but you're coming from a place that had the ultimate alignment where the support staff and the structure mainly stayed the same. And so those people were able to recommend me for a position with him here. And I think that that in itself shows how important the alignment is because I knew what his vision was. I had lived in his vision before. And so um, I didn't know how hard it was going to be. I, I probably wasn't prepared for, uh, the amount of, of time, effort, and work that we've had to put into it. I don't know that the players were prepared for that. Um, but I think overall that's probably been the biggest adjustment is what we had to kind of overcome from year one to now. Yeah, can you touch on a little bit about like a story or something among, you know, like an antidote you have from when you kind of first got here and maybe players came in were like, oh, shit, like this is something different, you know what I mean? So here, here's what I've actually told people, and I don't know that Locks would agree with this. It's not something we've talked about, but um, I think our turning point in the program was in the offseason of 2020. Oh. And so it was, it, if you look at our schedule, we finished our offseason, and that afternoon, COVID hit, and it, huh. and it shut everything down. So um, the first year I got here, we couldn't, we couldn't do anything. I mean, we had – 
we had people watching us uh, in the workouts and, and we couldn't coach certain things with the guys. So really we, we had to earn the players trust. And, and that was a long process. That was a long road for us to do it. But in the off season of 2020, we had this team where either whether guys left, you know, went to other programs or what have you, we had attrition from the first year from 19. And when we replaced it with the guys that came in in 20, we ended up having a bunch of new guys. And then the guys who were left were kind of guys that were bought into our system or our program. And I think what you guys saw as fans in 21, I think was a direct correlation to what we had gone through in the off season of 2020. And it's kind of like, because COVID that those guys didn't know how good they were. They, they had no idea. All they wanted to do was work. And we had a bunch of young players that were pushing a bunch of old players and it was very unique to the culture, but I can remember the, the workout, uh, the training session that we finished in 2020, where I met with the staff and said, you know what? I think we got something. And that was about a week before COVID hit. And I was like, these guys, like they haven't stopped. We've, we've been going for six or seven weeks. And I mean, these, these guys have never stopped and they've never flinched. And, and that was a drastic difference from 2020 or 2019, I'm sorry, from 2019, that was a drastic difference from then. Yeah, so you talk about how, you know, you, you can kind of tell that um, people are working harder and, and stuff like that. Um, what kind of things uh, do you measure that off of? Like, how can you tell uh, when the community is building and when the culture is going strong? And how can you tell when, when you're headed down that right path, like you said you were um, in that season and, and into now? So obviously you have your measurable t uh, characteristics. You know, you have all your performance measurables, but to be honest with you guys, that that's not really it. Guys should get better if they're a part of a training program. Like if they have to do something and it's mandatory for them to do it and they got to show up every day, they should get better. So those performance indicators don't really tell you all that much. But now you have some cultural indicators. You know, we call these like the cheat codes, but my one of my mentors, um, I work for him at Alabama, Scott Cochran, we talk every week. I mean, he's been a guy for me that I've leaned on a lot uh, in this role since I've been here. But the thing that you're talking about, how do you know that your football team is getting better without looking at the performance metrics? Well, you know that when your best players in your program are emphasizing the things that are important to you. So here's the example. It doesn't matter how you finish. Doesn't matter how you choose to finish a drill. If you're running a program and you're, you're in strength and conditioning in college football, NFL, whatever, it doesn't matter how you decide to finish a pro, finish a, a rep or a drill. What does matter, however, is, is everybody emphasizing the same finish. So for us, what I mean is we will say headbutt the finish. That's Coach Locks's thing. He always talks about headbutting the finish. The physical aspect of that, the metaphorical aspect of that headbutt the finish in this classroom. But if you ever come out and watch us train, you'll see when guys are exhausted, when they're tired, when they're fatigued, our best players will be emphasizing to headbutt the finish. We tuck our shirts in and to the average 18 to 22 year old, they're like, man, why don't I got to tuck my shirt in coming in here to work out, man? Like, okay. 
are they emphasizing those things as a team? Are your best players emphasizing that when they're tired and when they're exhausted? Those are cultural indicators. And in 2020, we started to see them emphasize the things that are important to coach. That's super interesting. I, um, I think when, especially like you be a part of teams and it's a lot harder to preach culture when your best players are kind of the ones, you know, you know, maybe they're talented, but they're taking drills off, you know, kind of like not the big, you know, your leaders. I feel like the best teams are always really good when you have your best players as your leaders. And that, that speaks volumes to where the program's headed. But I was just wondering, you know, you coached at Samford um, and then came, came here, I believe. What was, I mean, Sanford to Maryland, how was the technology different? Because, I mean, you, I know, and it, technology in the weight room is becoming such a big thing. You know, GPS <laughs> tracking, monitoring, all that type of stuff. And now you've got all these resources. I mean, you have, I'm sure that, you know, Cole Fieldhouse isn't the same, is probably a little nicer than <laughs> what they got over there at Sanford. So what's been the biggest difference for you? And how has it helped you as a strength coach? And how in some ways maybe... You know, some we've talked to Tyler Cronin, the head baseball trainer. He said, in a way, sometimes technology can, you know, overwhelm you with information. So how do you balance that? And what's been the biggest difference? Well, I, I think I, I spent when I left Sanford, I spent four years at Colorado State, then came to Maryland. And when I got to Maryland, we were in one of the worst facilities in the country for football, for Division One football. And, um, but I liked it. You know, I, I really liked the old facility that we trained in. and it, it was brutal. I mean, it was bad. Like, I can't make this up, guys. We were we were training in a group and I had the team. We were in a, we were doing our, our warm up and 50 gallons of wastewater came out of the ceiling. Like like just leaking out of the ceiling. The best part about our team, they never flinched. We kept going. We didn't miss the workout. We put big trash cans under there caught the water. One of the guys called facilities. They came in, they were working on it while we were in the group, never missed a beat. You know, we sat in the office and, and there was like, there was like water running down the walls into the power outlets where we then had to remove our stuff from the office and put, we set up little tables out in the weight room to have our computers on. And I'm not making this up. You can look up any of my assistants that were here when we were in Gossett and they will tell you guys, this is what we trained in. But I think for our football team, I think it gave them an edge. They never expected anything. And so we always found a way to get the work in. And that became our kind of like the mantra, the work's got to get done. So now you move into the Jones Hill house, which is arguably, arguably one of the best facilities in all of college football. We've got, force plates. We've got a uh, perch that measures the velocity and bar speed and counts reps at the rack. We've got catapult, which measures mechanical workload for the players. Um, we, we've got Nord boards that we, we measure, you know, the, the hamstring deficiencies on. We, we have all types of stuff. We got polar heart rate monitors in the room. The problem that I see with the technology is that and it's not just with the technology, it's really nowadays in athletics. The technology can't do the work for you. That, that, that like, it's, it's all well and good, man, but the work still has to get done. The best part of it is obviously it's helped us in recruiting. Um, it, it's helped us from a functional standpoint in the group with our numbers of how we could better and more efficiently coach the guys that we've got on the team. 
team, you know, and we have a room that's one of the largest football only rooms in the country that was developed and designed to train the football team here at the University of Maryland. So we're very specific in what we can do in our process of preparing our athletes. I know I've looked looked online a bit and seen some of those uh, videos of uh, where you guys train, and it, it truly is beautiful. But uh, you mentioned uh, recruiting, so I was just kind of wondering, uh, what role do you uh, specifically play in the recruiting process? Well, so the coaches obviously go on the road, and you know they're they're visiting with guys, they're able to see them at their high school, they're able to visit them in the home. You know, my position doesn't afford me the opportunity to do that. So number one, I tell my staff. Anytime we have people coming to campus, it's our job to put our best foot forward so they can get a true depiction of who we are. The second piece of that is, you know, the players are going to spend more time with us than anybody else in the program. And so if they treat it right, not us, but if they treat the process right, then the strength and conditioning staff can be a huge asset to a player in how he builds his brand because our job is to put the best version of the players on the field. We don't dictate any playing time. It's let's train all of them and get the best version of every guy so that we can give that to the coaches to put them on the field. Um, so I speak a lot about how we develop our guys physically, how we develop them mentally. Uh, I talk about our, our character development program and how we're equipping these guys uh, with things that we're doing here in the weight room for not just here at Maryland, for when they get done with it, with football here, how we're equipping them for real life. You know, we spend a lot of time talking to parents because really this is this is the part of the program and it teaches players how to deal with adversity. You know, it teaches them how to how to become calloused. You know, our, our Devo that I gave today to the staff, there, there is a lot of information in a scar or a callus. You, you really, when you go through those processes, you really start to find out who you are and what you're made of. And I think that's what that that's what the performance side for us is all about. Yeah, I mean, I saw that your tweet this morning about the calluses, and it's funny that my strength coach used the same expressions in, in when I, you know, in high school when I played. Uh, which I guess it's just a universal thing. But I was just wondering, you know, this is kind of a probably a hard question for you, but spanning across your time overall, and then maybe at Maryland, who's been the taking the biggest jump that you've seen physically? maybe maturity wise as a leader, <laughs> that type of thing. Like I know I've read numbers from like Jacob Copeland, who was a transfer, obviously, but I mean, the guy's like a freak. I mean, he, I saw a number, he like squats five, 500 plus benches, like three twenty something crazy. Like, but who have you seen develop the most, maybe out of all your time as a coach and then specifically here at Maryland um, maturity well, and physically. Well, Jabo, Jabo is a freak, but here's, that question's not very hard because here's how I'm going to answer it. We've got seven guys this year invited to the combine. Okay. I think that's the most Maryland's had in since like 1986 or something like that. But the most impressive part of that is when you guys watch the combine this year, and I'm on record saying this, we've got several guys in that group who are going to finish in the top probably three top two or three in their position groups at the NFL combine. And I think that's a testament to the development of the players here. It's a testament to the program. It's a testament to coach for recruiting those guys, you know, but 
they have some freakish numbers. Those seven guys that are in the combine from Deontay Banks uh, to Ja'Corian Bennett, uh, to J-Bo, uh, Jacob Copeland, to Jalen Duncan, a, a 312 pound lineman. Th those guys are gonna put up some ridiculous numbers when they go to the combine. And when you talk about growth, you know, they, they obviously weren't doing that when they first came here. You know, they've always been gifted and they've always been talented, but it's also a testament to the way they've worked since they've been in the program. So I, I'm gonna stick with that. Um, that way I'm not making anybody upset or, or, or leaving anybody out with that. So we'll stick with our guys this year. You did, you did, you did must've come across Trent Richardson though, right? I, that he was a freak. Yeah. Right? Trent, you, Trent was, a, he, Trent was um, you know, he was a special player. He's still, he's a good friend of mine. We, we talk often and yeah. Uh, as a matter of yeah. fact, he's going to probably come up and do some work with us this summer and getting around oh, our running backs. But, that's dope. Um, you know, Trent was a freak, uh, you know, in, in terms of his strength. Julio Jones was pretty unbelievable. Um, Dante Hightower, Courtney Upshaw. When I was at Sanford, I had I had Nick Williams, who's still playing. That was pretty unbelievable. James Bradbury. Oh, you know, he'll be Super he'll Bowl be starter playing in another Super Bowl here. Um you know, Jaquaski Tart, who was with the 49ers, all those guys were, I mean, they, they were really good. Michael Pierce plays right up the road now yeah, uh, at the Ravens, and he was a 700-pound squatter I had when I was at Sanford. Um, you know, Colorado State, we had Michael Gallup, who was a, was a really good player that put up some unbelievable numbers. You know, so it, the list is, it goes on and on, but really it, it comes down to the guy. I mean, it's like, right. it's a testament to them and the way they work and the way they buy into the process of what's in front of them. Yeah, you just kind of talked about some of those um, relationships that you, you kind of still have with players. And I, I know I've heard you talk about um, you as a, as a coach being um, vulnerable, talking about mistakes uh, and lessons and, and being open to sharing those with the players. And, and uh, so I was just wondering, where does that come from? Where did you kind of um, develop that uh, strategy and process and, and how you apply it now? Well, you guys kind of hit on it already, but if you look at my career, I, I've been extremely blessed and fortunate to be around some of the greatest people in this profession. Um, was extremely blessed to work for Coach Saban twice on two different occasions, and and with that was directly under Scott Cochran. I mean, I I worked for Pat Sullivan when I was at Sanford, uh, who changed my life as a as a coach and as a person. And so you start to look at some of these things and what you realize is that there's nothing that we've ever done on our own. And, and like, I didn't believe that I was this great strength coach when I got into the business, I had to lean on somebody else's belief in what they saw in me. And, and I had somebody that was speaking into my life saying, if you would just focus on this, you got a chance at being really special at this. And I don't know what it is that person saw, but I was lucky enough for people to be vulnerable with me and to give me an opportunity to do this. And so that's what I try to do with the players. And, and the truth is this, guys, like it, if all they're going to get from me is reps and sets and a program, then I'm not doing my job. The truth is I want these guys to learn areas that I've struggled in my own life. Because if I don't share with them, how are they ever going to get better? You know, and, and it's like uh, if I got a gambling problem and you guys are going to walk me through the casino, 
nobody in that circle is getting anybody better. But if I'm honest with you and I say, listen, I got an issue, all right? And I'm not telling you that I can't go to the casino, but I am saying that I'm going to need some accountability and going through there. Now it's a chance for you to hold me accountable to it. I've given you the opportunity to grow a little bit closer as a friend, as a colleague, as a teammate, as whatever. And, and we've built some trust with each other, you know, and that, that's really how people become good at things and, and how they overcome things. So I believe in that wholeheartedly. And that, that's the way that I've tried to coach since I've been leading programs in the, from the performance side. Uh, and it's the way that I try to be as a person with my players. And I think any of the guys with our players, I think any of the guys that you talk to uh, on our roster would tell you that. So I think it's a, it's a way to get the most out of people. All right. I got to ask because every pod I listen to when they bring on an Alabama, a former Alabama assistant, they're always giving your best saving story. So can you tell us your funniest or best Nick Saban story from your time working <laughs> with him? Um, yeah. So we, we are in the off season um, and, and I'm running a, you know, in the off season, all the coaches are running the drills, running the, the coaches stations and with the players and coach Saban kind of walks around and, you know, he's getting after whoever, and he's usually with the equipment guy blowing the horn, but I, of all people, right. I'm, I'm coaching the bag drill and it's not me coaching it. It's, it's Kirby smart and Jeremy Pruitt's drill. And so I'm, my job is to get the players in line so that when it's their turn to go there, we're uniform. All right. And so anybody that's been in the offseason program at Alabama knows that, like, if you have a job, you better focus on that singular job with every ounce of focus that you can give it for however long you're in there. And so I'm in these I'm in the drill and I'm telling these guys, I'm like, come on, get in line. And I'm saying, get ready to go. That's that's actually what I'm telling the guys. And so we were big on the cadence at Alabama and how we started a drill. So you net, we never said go, we never said the word go. But as a young assistant, I didn't think that by me telling the guys, you know, get in line, let's get ready to go. All coach Saban heard was somebody in the drill was saying go. So he starts unloading and I don't even know what it's about because I'm so locked in on just getting the guys in line. So we finish up for the day. And I go, I'm back in the weight room and I'm sitting at the fueling station and I see Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt coming in, beelining for me at the fueling station. And, you know, part of me as a young assistant, I'm thinking, surely they're not coming to me. And then I start looking and I go, they're coming right at me. And I mean, they lost it because Coach Saban was going off on them because somebody in there, he thought somebody in their drill was saying go. And I wasn't, I was never saying go. I was telling the guys, let's get ready to go. And they like, they unloaded on me. So from that, from there on, I have never coached a drill again and used the term go in a station or a drill, not once. That's crazy, man. That's, that's pretty, that's a pretty funny story. I mean, <laughs> to just like to just get that from Saban and Kirby Smart that's that's pretty incredible so <laughs> yeah 
uh, pr pretty unbelievable, but that was a humbling experience. All right. So uh, as we wrap up here, uh, can you just give us a look at kind of what your next uh, couple of weeks look like uh, and, and until kind of, I guess, maybe the summer as well until um, we see uh, Maryland back on the field? So we're going to be in the offseason all the way up until spring break, uh, which is I think it starts the week of the 19th or something like that in March. Um, you know, we'll, we'll be in offseason workouts. So we'll have uh, we'll be moving the schedule with the runs and the lifts here next week where we'll have four runs throughout the week and we'll have three lifts. Then we'll go on spring break. When we get back from spring break, we'll be in spring football. And in typical schedule in spring football, we'll practice on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, which means we'll train and meet on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. You know, we'll take that up until May. And then we'll go on discretionary time after the guys get out of school in May and we'll get ready for summer workouts to start uh, that last week of May. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Coach. Appreciate you hopping on, giving us some, some cool stories, explaining your role. Um, and, you know, good luck to you. I mean, this is your time to shine off season, man. So good luck to you um, and, uh, and, the rest of the, and the rest of the program. And I will be watching the combine because I'm now, I'm now expecting, I'm expecting Banks to run like a 4-2-5 or something. Jalen Duncan to yeah, have the you, best three cone, something like that. You, you guys are going to be like, shooting me on Twitter and DMing me when you see these guys compete in the combine. I promise you, man, it's going to be something spectacular. Well, thanks again, well. Coach. Appreciate you hopping on, and uh, episode should be out soon, so make sure you take a listen. Appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. Have a good one. You too. Later. Thank you so much to Ryan Davis for coming on. We talked to him a couple weeks ago, but we thought it was a perfect time to let you guys hear right around the draft. He writes, Sam, he called the shots, and so exciting. For those who are fans of Under the Shell and fans of the left bench, you've probably seen a lot of the recap of Maryland sports in the last week. It's not been pretty. No, it's really been ugly um, for the for these teams. Uh, really, the only team who had a good weekend was the one I cover for the Diamondbacks, softball. Um, I think they, they had a 5-0 and weekend. Now, granted, um, they basically played preschoolers um, because the teams they were playing are certified awful. East Carolina, Monmouth might be the worst group of players I've ever seen the whatever idea that Monmouth had when they set out this season it's it's not going according to plan because their pitchers couldn't locate their fielders couldn't field it was just a rough rough look for the Hawks you kind of need all those things to be a good softball team right Sam that that is a certified fact um Brendan Weissel only brings integrity to this podcast um except for when he's scheming to uh stop Big Mike from winning votes um you know he's an integral guy but that's something that we're gonna have to bring up later because folks there's a there's a lot of controversy surrounding that one uh, but anyway yeah softball good weekend five and oh played some horrible teams so you can't really put too much value into it um I actually not to self-plug but I actually had a pretty cool story I did um, about Courtney Weish and kind of analytics and how she looks at them and, and how she um, uses different pitch planes and rings, small little rings to help her with her with her pitching. So um, check that out if you want. Yeah, not going to get into all that now, but that's a neat story, and I'd recommend that you all go check it out. It's um, not something you really hear about. Um, Mike, talking now about baseball, had a complete opposite weekend. Um, <laughs> yeah, softball went 5-0, and oh, according to Sam. Baseball did the opposite. They went 0-3. Oh it's not according to me. It, it is a fact that that all happened. Right, right. <laughs> They went 5-0. and oh. Sam covered the games. <laughs> Baseball went 0-3. Oh um, a pretty bad weekend for them. Combined, they had a winning record, though. Combined? Yeah. 
Baseball and softball, come on. That, that is a fact. <laughs> that is a fact. But when you isolate the two teams together, you know, uh, they lost to then number four Ole Miss, um, then lost a really tight one on the Saturday game to number seven Vanderbilt. I have a question about that game, Mike. So they bring in a freshman at the end, right, to close it out. What was the deal with that? And, you know, Vaughn, I know after the game, said he basically lost it for them. He's yeah. like, I didn't manage that game well enough. What was it that was the mistake in your eye, and, and, and why was it a freshman they turned to at the end there? Just the, out of pitching at that point? The problem wasn't bringing in Kyle McCoy. The problem was bringing him in. They didn't let him start the inning. They didn't let him start the inning. They brought back out Nigel Belgrave, who, is, by the way, is a terrific closer. He he throws yeah. heat. He's great. But he had already he just got out of a jam the last inning. He pitched a couple innings before. He was exhausted. You bring him back. There's you know He gets a couple guys on base. Then they pull him, bring in McCoy. McCoy was in a tough position. Yeah, that to is a tough spot. Get, you know, Freshman get against an elite mm-hmm. program trying to save a game that's probably heading the wrong way. Um, and I think I like Vaughn because I think yeah. that, that that takes some accountability to own up to it. I also get sending Belgrave back out there. Is he a senior, Mike, or is he – or he's an older guy, right? I, I know that to be to be a fact. Like he's pitched in the program. Before. He's a redshirt sophomore. Okay, so he's basically a junior at this point. Um, so been in the program a while. And I get sending him back out there. You probably should have gone away from him, especially once you mm-hmm. saw he was gassed and, and right. kind of out of it. Um, and, and, and and like you said, Vaughn took accountability for it. He said yeah. he did. That was the first thing he said in the locker room, and that was one of the first things he said post game too. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. great when you see that in a coach. Well, you know what's not great though. When you drop <laughs> to Hawaii the next game that Sunday, um, going into the weekend, I thought that Maryland expected and hoped as a team that they would go one and one against either Vanderbilt or or Ole Miss, win one of those games, and then beat Hawaii next, who was unranked at the time. That was not the case. Um, hope pitching again was not great against Hawaii. Um, neither was offense as a whole, which was kind of strange seeing it um, that weekend because they only averaged 3.6 runs uh, last weekend after they entered averaging uh, 7.6 the previous eight games. So that was kind of strange. Pitching, like I said, they had an ERA of 6 that weekend, which I guess is an improvement over the 9.7 they had against the old against Ole Miss in the series the weekend before. Yeah. But it, the pitching – they're averaging 7.6 on the year. It's not strong, and they, they just struggled to hit on all cylinders completely. They did it the second game against USF to start the season when they won. Uh, they only allowed up one run, which was nice. But other than that, they've struggled to hit on all cylinders consistently. Yeah, and moving away from baseball now, um, talk about men's basketball. Another heartbreaker. Going to be uh, going to play in the Big Ten tournament later this week. We've said this as many times as we could on this podcast. Maryland has been just terrible away, not that bad neutral, which I keep uh, I keep bringing up when people make the point that they're bad away. See but how that translates. Who have they played neutral? Miami. All right. Tennessee. St. Louis. The St. Louis. I mean, it's a small sample. It's very three games, two and one, played solid. It's going to be very interesting. The Big Ten tournament is going to tell us a ton about how Maryland's going to do the NCAA tournament. I think it's possible. You have no idea with this team. You really don't. I think Maryland could lose to Nebraska like we saw them do away. The bottom side of the bracket is a joke. Like, let's be honest. Be- not a joke, but that it's there for the taking, Brendan. I, you saw them lose away. Absolutely. And now I think they have a chance. You play Nebraska. you got to hope you can win that one. I, I know they lost on the road, but they were in that game. Mike, we all know Jameer Young really struggled in that one. Mm-hmm. I know you talked about that. Um 
But then I think they get you would get a Northwestern most likely if if that were to occur. And it's a tough team. Yeah, it is. But you beat them before, and it's not like Northwestern's this mm-hmm. elite program that's you know going to be in the in the top tiers of whoa they scare us a lot. You know what I mean, Brendan? So I just think that um, as you look at this at this bracket kind of shaping up, I think Maryland has a chance if they're able to you know get past uh, Nebraska, get past Indiana. Um, who obviously Maryland beat at home. What do you see from them maybe in that, you know, 6-3 game against the Hoosiers, and then can they get past Northwestern to maybe make it to Sunday? I honestly don't expect Maryland to make it past the quarterfinal game. I do expect them to beat the, min- the winner of Minnesota-Nebraska, which, which, which most likely will be Nebraska. Um, you'll know by the time this, is, this podcast is out. It's going to be very difficult for Maryland to win a game on the road because they haven't I mean it's neutral they haven't shown me anything in the past two months that would make me think that they could go away from College Park Maryland and win a high level basketball game they played very strongly against those teams close game against Michigan State close game against Purdue I mean you go down 15 nothing whatever but at this point I just have no confidence team to play with enough energy and play with enough heart on the road so I really don't see them getting past Indiana Plus, a really good point. I think Mike said that Northwestern's a tough team. And um, I also think with Indiana, they're going to travel well, their fans. Like, it will be a Northwestern, Indiana, Illinois type of environment because it's in Chicago, obviously. Big Midwest. Um, So it's like those fans are going to travel out. Do we really think that Maryland fans are going to be out? I I don't know because, I mean, Brendan and Mike, you two can speak to it. Mike, what's the – what if in Big Ten tournaments in the past, what's the Maryland fan – fandom been like is it really a huge presence there would you say or is it kind of when it was in dc yeah not yeah. dc i'm talking <laughs> in the... any other year it's, it's not that big <laughs> of a mean, presence it depends what it is the game is being played in chicago northwestern i mean that's so. well northwestern has like eight fans yeah but it's 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 right in there yeah. it's right in, it's right in there it's, it's gonna be tough for them you, you don't get the xfinity center in the big 10 tournament yeah so. so i think we're all expecting probably i think you would set it at one and a half and then kind of go from there I'll say this. The whole season I've been saying that Jameer Young is the key to Maryland succeeding. I got a new guy who I think is the key to Maryland succeeding. It's Dante Scott. He is the senior who's been here all four years. He was the leader of this team heading into this season, and he cannot be putting up numbers like he has been so far. Past five games, he's averaging only 8.8 points per game and 4.6 rebounds. You cannot do that if you're you're that guy that you entered this season being. You you got to be better. You got to lead this team. You got to set the example, and he has not done that. I absolutely agree. Not Scott. First ten games of the year was a different player than he's been. Um, just final thing to wrap up. You look at the records on the road for some of these teams. Northwestern was seven and four. Purdue eight and three. Indiana five and seven, and that's why they got the double buy. And, and what was Maryland? Maryland was two and nine. And nice. <laughs> that's good, right, guys? <laughs> yeah, and I guess who those two wins came against, fellas. Louisville and Minnesota, the two worst Power Five teams on Ken Palm. So great, great job on the road by Maryland this year. Really um, showed that road warrior mentality and and went in and, and had some big upsets in opposing arenas. Um, now, who has the blame gone to? Actually, no, we'll cover this next week. But. Yeah, if you guys if you guys <laughs> want to hear a nice debate, we're going to talk a lot about March Madness All next week. Next week uh, we're going to do a little debate. We're also going to have Abby Myers come on the podcast. Um, speaking of women's basketball, they don't play for a bit. Sam, what's the deal with them? Yeah, there's not really much to talk about. I will say that this is just my opinion. I I never really noticed this before, but covering it, I don't understand why women's basketball doesn't do all of their conference tournaments the week before men's conference tournament 
and then do their selection Sunday the week before men's selection Sunday. It would generate so much more eyeballs. People would be paying. People are craving for tournament basketball now, right? People are watching like Iona play in conference tournaments. Why not do your your you know selection Sunday the week prior so that you're able to gain as much eyeballs as possible? Instead, you run it up against men's. Like we all know what's going to happen there. Men's is going to generate the eyeballs and people will shut off the TVs. You know, obviously the dedicated fans will, will watch and women's basketball fans will tune in. And Maryland fans should tune in because this team is going to get a two seed. I mean, it, it's simple as that. Um, they're not going to get up to the one line because of that loss to Iowa. Um, it was a thriller, 89-86. Um, I think it really looked like an Elite Eight game, guys. I, I mean, Mike, I, I know that you've watched this team, um, you know, since you were a kid. They continue to be um, at the top of – you know, programs and standards and, and that type of thing on the two line, getting two games in college park. How far can this team go? Answer that question in five words or less. Crowd size. Oh, interesting. Well said. Very um, well said. I think, I think it comes down to what the crowd size is. We saw against Iowa. They had a really good crowd that game. Um, we need the students to pack that stadium. This is our team. Coming from a student perspective, we're supposed to be unbiased journalists, but like, this is our university. You're supposed to go out there and support your school. So I, I don't know why point. more students do not come in. It's a lot more of like the families that come to these games. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think for the women's team, it's 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 going to be very interesting. I think women's basketball fans would be very satisfied if the Iowa game um, was a Final Four game. That was one of the best basketball games we've seen all year. That could have been a championship. I mean, that's high level play and. You know, only time will tell. We'll see what happens in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think that you're looking at a two line, and and I think that this team could, even though they lost in the Big Ten championship, they continued to be um, really impressive in all of their games. However, another team that maybe wasn't as impressive in the Big Ten tournament yet again was the wrestling squad. Yeah. So from one NCAA championship to the next. Not successful in terms of Big Ten metrics, but that doesn't mean they weren't successful in terms of the NCAA metrics or their own metrics. Maryland had five wrestlers qualify for NCAA championships. Braxton Brown, Jaron Smith, Ethan Miller, Cal Miller, and Jackson Smith all qualified. Most wrestlers um, since 2014. So it's a big step in the right direction for the program and uh, doesn't take place uh, until March 16th through 18th. Uh, big bracket style there for wrestling. And so we'll keep an eye on that and we'll give you an update of what happens. But exciting stuff there. That's that's a super interesting uh, development, especially with wrestling. When you have it's very, it's kind of an individual team sport. Um, having those nominations is something that Alex Clemson uh, can go to in terms of, you know, being able to support the support his recruiting pitches and and that type of thing. Because um, again, they're facing elite teams at the Big Ten, and that's not they're not the only team in Maryland that's facing elite teams. The men's lacrosse team has had a gauntlet of a schedule. Um, lost in triple overtime it was to Notre Dame. Um, Brendan, I know you were at that game. What did you see from the squad, and, and, and why were they not ultimately able to pull it out against the Irish? Before I talk about the Maryland team, let's talk about the fans. Uh, packed stadium for what it can be for uh, lacrosse. Exciting crowd, a lot of Notre Dame fans. Goes into triple overtime. Maryland battled. I mean, Maryland was up 10-12 to 12 with uh, in the fourth quarter. Goes into overtime. I mean, this is a game you're going to look back at and say they didn't win, but they learned so much. You have a freshman goalie playing in triple overtime against one of the best teams in the country. You know that Notre Dame is an extremely good team when Maryland's ranking doesn't move after they lose, and that's usually a good mark. Get back this weekend against uh, Albany uh, on Saturday away. 
Should be a win for Maryland coming off the loss. It's going to be fired up. No one likes to lose. No one likes to lose at home. No one likes losing triple overtime. I think this is a point in the season where they look themselves in the mirror. They've had two losses. Didn't lose a game at all last year. I think you're going to see a different Maryland team, and I think they're going to go on and win a lot of games in a row. Speaking of home losses, then we got women's lacrosse. Sam, thoughts on that? Yeah, it was just another loss. Um, tough way to go out when you're in a in a spot like that, Brennan. I think that this team, um, you know, I think that they're showing a little bit of fight. Um, you know, you play two top 15 opponents, James Madison, Denver, um, you know, that type of thing. Also Florida, um, sorry, again. Um, so three back-to-back-to-back top 15 guys. It's hard to overcome that, but the offense has really kind of struggled. Um, what have you seen from that? I think it just it was just surprising. I think Kathy Reese has been undefeated at home in nine seasons and all-time record, something like 162-6 and six now or 161-6 after um, these games. And so, you know, statistically, you don't expect Maryland women's lacrosse to lose at home. And so when it happens, I think it's a bit of a shock to the fans, and I think people overreact a bit. I mean, Denver's a very solid program. Played pretty sloppy in that game, but Kathy resettled after so many new faces on the team, so many new transfers. It's going to be a long process. I mean, Big Ten play, Maryland has dominated that, and dominated is a light way to say that, absolutely dominated that. And I think when they get into Big Ten play, which uh, is coming up shortly, you'll see a team that doesn't lose many games, and I would honestly be surprised if Maryland loses any games in Big Ten play this year. And that, that'll be a big mark to see where the program is going. But still, I mean, just didn't didn't play all that well in the Denver game. But uh, Wednesday night against William & Mary, one at home 22-4. to William & Mary, not a very solid women's across program, but still impressive to go out there, and he had a huge win. Yeah, getting back on track, and, and it was, um, you know, an, an interesting – job by them to kind of that's an interesting scheduling technique to go from three top 15 teams to playing a program like that um but they got back on the track um you know you saw uh that type of you know response that you would want to if if you're the coach there and they get villanova um on saturday for a for a big one yeah like you just said i was talking to one of the sids after the game and uh, they were saying that's why you play a tough loaded schedule at the beginning of the year you know you don't want to lose those games but if you do lose them it's okay because you learn something um, yeah, Maryland playing Villanova. It was the game uh, last year, actually. It was a super cold day in College Park. They moved the game inside. If you guys remember seeing that on Twitter, so they played uh, in the field house. Um, I would expect Maryland to get the win. Not probably as easily as the win against William & Mary, but not as tough as opponent. I would expect Maryland to kind of get back on track here, then has Georgetown, um, and then start Big Ten play. But should be a solid couple of weeks, or a week here for Maryland women's across. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a good recap of, you know, all the sports. Kind of a tough weekend for Maryland sports. So, um, you'd, all, you'd look for them to all get back on track here this week and then um, into the future. Um, but not the future, the past. That's our segment. We what all, a transition. We all, we all know it. We all love it. Our investigative journalist himself, Brennan Weissel, got us another terrific terp. Yeah, we uh, – maybe not we. Uh, well said there, Sam, first of all. Um, like to talk about the track program and, and poke fun because it's funny uh, because they're not very good. But they were, in fact, incredible at one point in time. From 1954 to 1981, Maryland men's track is combining indoor and outdoor. Won 52 ACC championships as a team, 26 indoor, 26 outdoor. They won almost every single championship there was to win. 
I mean, they they lost one in indoor and then one in out. I mean, they basically won every single team championship, which in track is not easy to do with all the talent that's turning over. And you may you may know this name, uh, Jim Kehoe, what is the is who the track is now named after. So let me give you a bit of a history about him. So he was the coach of cross country indoor and outdoor from 1946 to 1969, and then he was the athletic director at Maryland from 1969 to 1978. Signed some of the big name coaches, really got the Maryland program on track and who it, who it is today. Um, he was a son of uh, someone Standard Oil, so very old money type of guy. Came to Maryland, uh, raised in Bel Air, graduated from Bel Air High School, state champion and a half miler. Uh, and then at Maryland, uh, was undefeated in dual meet competition and you know, in track. Dominant athletes are dominant, but going out there every single meet and winning it every time. Had the half mile record, um, a two mile record when he was here at Maryland, and then uh, went to the Army in 1942 and then came back to coach. He won. 48 cross-country indoor and outdoor championships in the Southern Conference and the ACC. I mean, those type of numbers, 48 total. I mean, just pure dominance in in the ACC and the Southern Conference. Really didn't lose. And it's just, it's uh, it's a crazy turn that the program has taken in in the past couple, uh, you know, 20 years since then. Um, And just one quick note about him, uh, although, you know, we can talk about how incredible he was as a track coach, as an athletic director, um, some pushback he had actually against Title IX, and it was because women's, uh, he saw women's athletics didn't generate any income, and so he really didn't support them as much as he should have when Title IX was around and um, didn't give as many opportunities for, to women's sports. Yeah, I think that that's, I mean, everybody in the past is going to have that type of legacy, different different era, different type of, you know, expectations. I also would say, you know, if he was here and, and that was track really generating that much revenue um, in terms of the school. No, I mean, men's track wasn't revenue. It's like, yeah. It's so it, it's a little it's a little bit of a hypocritical argument from, from, from the guy, but um, very interesting. I, I think the part about old money and then coming to Maryland and, and really, like, just dominating, that's a really, really, really cool um you know story and also um, I like how you set it up so that we you got to hear both sides you know obviously not everyone is perfect if you try to just whitewash or, or wipe away everything that someone did it's not the same as analyzing them from a from a individuality perspective so um, another great terrific turf and Brennan yeah I mean hell of a track coach but it's important to note those things and um, since the run of 1981, um, where Maryland won their final outdoor championship. Maryland has not won another ACC or Big Ten track championship. So he truly set the mark, and it's not been reached since then. I don't think anybody will ever reach that mark again. Another mark that nobody will reach is Coach Loxley's win on the nicknames draft. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> what are you talking about? A <laughs> little bit of controversy. Um, we had multiple polls going, Mike. Uh, why was Coach Loxley deemed the winner in your eyes? Um, well, first and foremost, there's a lot of talk about voter fraud in this there really country. Is. <laughs> the biggest uh, example of it is what Brendan did to me last week on the podcast. Some are he comparing Brendan off, to Sean Hanley. I just <laughs> <laughs> he cut off my last pick, and I never finished my team. I just want to sincerely apologize. 100 percent my fault. Mike didn't get <laughs> his team. Mike didn't get his team out. And but the Mike's worst team part was the, the Mike... worst part about it is I sent it to you three days before it was released to say there was an I issue. Mean, he's bringing receipts. <laughs> I also edit this episode, so we'll see what gets in. <laughs> but <laughs> but you your full team was on the graphic. It was just not a good team. People liked my right. But you listened to I, the I podcast got, for the reasoning. You know? I know, but I was I was told that I got many votes from many Quakers out there. Mm. Sent, sent it to my Quakers <laughs> channels, and so sorry. That's all I have to say about that. And uh, I think I technically did win, but we can give it to Loxley if you guys would like. 
that's that's a fair point because I went on my Instagram poll and I received the shargon of my mother um, who said that it was disgusting that I voted for a Spartan and a Horn Frog considering they are Michigan alums. Um, obviously TCU, not in the recent memory of Michigan fans. Um, but we have a new top five this week, guys. It's an exciting one too. It, interesting take. I'm very excited about it. Mike, tell us what we're doing here. So we are doing a top five of non-basketball athletes at the University of Maryland. So this is a starting basketball five of non-basketball players. I know that is incredibly complicated to try <laughs> to understand. It You will understand more once we get into it because, um, again, we're around March Madness. We want to do stuff around basketball. This is a starting lineup of different sports here at Maryland, different players. Qualifications, Mike. Two women, three men. Or you can swap it whichever way you'd like. Three women, two men. You just have to have, you know, um, an equal balance. Yeah. And then you have to do someone from a different sport. You cannot do multiple mm -hmm. players from the same sport. Is that right. correct? Any yes, other qualifications? They had to play in 2022 on a Maryland team that as well. But I don't think I missed any, guys. No, no. Everybody's shaking their head here. So let me get the first pick. I haven't gotten the first pick in a while. Mike's going to start us off with I his top five. Again, this is not a draft. This is just giving your top five. We really think this is unique enough to where we won't have the same players. Yeah, but we'll, we'll just go point guard. We'll all go around and say our point guard. Then we'll go from there. Okay, go from there. All right. I'm gonna, this is an easy one, I feel. I'm going to take Dante Trader Jr. He already plays two sports. He can play another one now. That's a really good pick. <laughs> that's, that's a, how did I miss that? I do not know, but that is a strong start, Mike. So we're saying I can also pick I'm him at some him point. part of the lacrosse team. I'm taking him part of the lacrosse team. Okay, that's team. fair. Okay, very fair. I was planning on taking him for a different position. You'll see that later. My first pick, point guard, Kayla Woods, long jumper for uh, Maryland track. First pick. Good pick, Brendan. I'm going to go Corey Edmondson. Um, freshman, small, gritty, teammates love her. I think she'd be a great point guard on this team to lead my squad um, into into battle. Um, now we'll do shooting guard, go around. I can start us off. I'm going to go Jada McFarlane, um, softball player, won all Big Ten uh, freshman of the year. As a freshman, she then was second team all Big Ten in softball. Her second year, none of that applies to basketball, but she's very athletic. She used to play basketball in high school, I believe. So um, I think adding her on my squad – um, will really will really give us a good shooter, good athlete, that type of thing. Next for me, shooting guard is Colin Griffith. He is a freshman on the soccer team. Gritty guy, very athletic, good with his feet, good footwork. You know what they say in basketball, you need good footwork to be a good shooter. So that's why he's shooting guard. That's true. Good point. Okay, for shooting guard, you're looking for someone who can score. You're looking for someone to put the ball into the net. Another sport with a net, field hockey. Very good point. Hope Rose this knows how transition. to score. <laughs> Hope Rose uh, is going to be my shooting guard. I believe she was. I'm going to ch check this real quick. That's a, that's a good pick, Mike. Mm -hmm. um, that's terrible podcasting, but it's a good pick <laughs> on your part. Uh, to yeah, Hope, Hope Rose. Rose. She was a leading goal scorer for the uh, Terps. I should know that. I covered field hockey, but yes, Hope Rose. Good pick. Back to your small forward. Small forward. Small forward, you're looking for someone who can – who can lead a team, someone who has experience. I'm going to take Scott Tupper, uh, the field hockey assistant. Uh, he, respect. He's, played, respect. he's played in three Olympic games for field hockey, and he's been Canada's captain for the past eight years for whatever competition they're playing in. So. Well done. That's really yeah. well done. There you go. Brendan, go. Yeah, I will be honest. I was not expecting you to take um, that guy. <laughs> uh, my uh, – pick here is Dante Trader. Already took him. Like you said, plays two sports. Why not Wait, three? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Are we saying I can't take him? 
Can you take the same I player? Think you can. I think it's that is we didn't draft. We're saying I can take him. <laughs> I think that now, however, I do think Brennan should use him as football Dante Trader. I will use him as football. That's very fair. I think that that's, that's very that's fair. Different. That's very All right. fair. All right, perfect. Good. Uh, I will be also taking a football player. Um, Dante Demas, 6'6", bouncy, athletic. Um, if I could get pre-injury Dante Demas, that would be elite. But I can't. Um, I really think he's a good small forward, athletic, solid, solid ball player. Um, so I like that. Um, for my four, for my power forward, I'm going to go with the baseball guy. Baseball guys, um, we're all shooters. Um, we can shoot. We're a little stretch four action. Nick LaRusso. I um, think he's going to be a good stretch four uh, for me. Pretty jacked. Uh, veteran guy, senior. So I like that pick. 6'2", um, 215. Yeah. Like he's he's going to be solid. He's undersized, but he can shoot, I would hope, that type of thing. I don't know how much scoring we're going to have for my team, but we're going to have a lot of a lot of good rebounding. And so uh, power forward, Jaron Smith. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, god. honestly, would you, like five, eight. would you? Yeah, but you, would you want to box him out? No. Can you? I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're seven three. If you're not close to the basket, you can't get the ball. He's gonna push you back. He's like a smaller Grant Williams. I mean, I mean, he's gonna be. He's a bigger. I mean, he's gonna be. I would be scared to play against him at basketball. He's the round mound of rebounds. <laughs> well said. All right, Mike. Well, I guess I'm going to have to match you for power forward. I'm going to take Jackson Smith, the other Smith of the uh, wrestling team. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good pick. And then to uh, finish it off with center, center, you're looking for someone who can really command the game, you know, someone who can, you know, you, you can put them out there and they, they, they know how to command it. I'm going to take Trinity Schlotterback, Good pick. Uh, pitcher. She has a sub two ERA right now. Did you know she played basketball in high school? There we go. I didn't even know that. Look she at that, knows how Mike. To play basketball. And like, she's a great person. Read my feature on her. So yeah, Trinity Schlotterback. I don't actually looking at everybody's draft board here. It is unbelievable that nobody has taken someone on the volleyball team. Like what? Oh! What are we doing, guys? What are we doing here? All time blocks leader at Maryland, Raynell Jones. Jones. I mean, are you guys serious? That, that might win it for him. That's a oh. great – that's a really good pick. That was strategy. Oh, I feel really I feel really awful now. I'm, I mean, like Sam Sire on the board. But. Yeah, I know. I Should I go Sam Sire? Yeah, I'm going to go Sam Sire. I'm going to – I'm going to – that might be a little controversial that I'm amending oh, my draft board. Okay. But um, that's a great pick to round out my team. So, Who was your other pick in a minute? Uh, it was going to be Jamie Lowell. So, um, sorry, Jamie, but you're getting – Going to the pine. To be honest, Sam Sire, much better pick there. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That's a, that's a good squad I like. So um, we will post those on the Instagram, on the Twitter. Uh, you can follow us anywhere at TerrapinSportsCentral.com. Get all of your podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, any digital platforms. Uh, make sure you vote for the pod. Um, pod drafts, we're keeping track of these, so it's very important. Thank you for telling people where they can get the podcast after they've already listened to the entire episode. <laughs> yeah, Brennan, that's a great point. But, you know, I just wanted to make sure people understand about Under the Shell um again vote for the podcast follow us on twitter instagram share with your friends that's right and um we'll see you next time with the march madness special so um happy halloween um happy Purim. boo Heyman. take us away thank you for listening